Uh, well, it is good to gather with you, even on snowy mornings. Uh, I think there's something about that where the worship is even uh, maybe a little sweeter, right? Where, where God blesses the worship together just a little more, maybe, because of the difficulty of getting to church. Um, to those of you who are watching on, online at home, those of you who are sick, uh, we miss you and hope that you will be blessed on this Lord's Day as well. Um, you can turn to Matthew chapter 19 in your Bibles. That's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 19. Um, one quick housekeeping item. We are coming uh, to tax season, and uh, Jen Ruiz, our faithful bookkeeper, has um, a number of end-of-the-year giving statements. So if you are here this morning and you would like yours, check with, with her. If you're not here this morning, we're going to be working on mailing out whatever we need to mail out this week and, and getting those to you. But if you need yours urgently, uh, just be in communication with, with Jen or, or myself, and we'll make sure to get that to you. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Uh, we are continuing through our study in the book of Matthew. And last week, um, we saw Jesus' teaching about marriage, divorce, uh, remarriage, and, and singleness. Um, but this morning, Jesus turns to another topic, uh, a topic which is related to uh, family matters, um, but one that is quite different than what we saw last week. He, he turns to the topic of children. And that's really the, the focus of our text this morning, uh, children. Um, throughout history, uh, through different cultures and different times, um, people have had different attitudes towards children. Um, in our day, for example, children are either uh, viewed as an inconvenience, right? Uh, many young people uh, refuse to have children because of how it might hamper their lifestyle. Um, or children are viewed as, as little idols, perhaps, right? Where everything is focused on the child. They take priority in the family, in the home. Um, tragically, some people completely neglect their children entirely. And of course, we know there are others who take a healthy view of children, providing structure, discipline, direction, and love with the goal of raising well-adjusted human beings with good character, right? Many different uh, attitudes that people have towards the children in their life. Um, but as, as parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, how much do we prioritize the spiritual needs of the children in our life? How much do we prioritize the spiritual needs of the children in our life? Um, this is such an important thing we can do for children. Uh, but it can be easily put on the back burner as, as life and other things get in the way. And in our text this morning, we see Jesus' approach to children. We'll see his deep love, his care for children, a love that uh, calls us as his disciples to view children the same way, to have the same love and care for them that he does, a uh, care that should manifest itself in caring for their souls. Let's read our text, uh, verses 13 down to 15. Then children were brought to him, brought to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, uh, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Would you pray briefly with me as we hear God's word? Our God and our Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and that from end to end it testifies to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that this morning we get to hear what Jesus has to say about children. That we get to see his, uh, his deep care and concern for little ones. And Father, we pray that you would help us to consider the little ones that, that are in our life, whether those are our own children or grandchildren or nieces, nephews. 
whatever it may be, Lord, would you uh, show us the way that Jesus would have us care spiritually for those children in our life, that we might follow his example and display his love to them. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning as we hear it, uh, that you would give us understanding of Jesus' teaching and help us not just to hear it, but to do it as well. And Lord, help me to proclaim your word faithfully, clearly, and helpfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's really two main things we see in our text this morning. Two main things. One, we see the sin of hindering children. And we also see the love of Christ for children. The love of Christ for children. Now, if you recall last week, we saw that large crowds started following Jesus after he left Capernaum. That's how chapter 19 starts. Uh, and now some of the people in the crowds are beginning to approach Jesus. He's been healing some of them. Um, but they're coming forward for a different reason here in our text today. And when we look at verse 13, we see that they are bringing their children to him. They're bringing their children to Jesus. Uh, and the word that Matthew uses to describe these children, it's, it's, it's young children. Young children, probably under seven years old. So anywhere from, from birth to seven. The little guys, right? Um, these are kids anywhere from that age range being brought to Christ. Why? Well, these parents are hoping, as we see in verse 13, uh, that Jesus will lay his hands on them and pray for them, right? Uh, they're looking for an extra blessing for their children. And this wasn't an uncommon practice in the ancient world. Parents would often bring their children to a holy man or, or a powerful politician or a great general and seek their touch and their blessing. And, and, and while perhaps in most cases it's maybe a misguided way of thinking, um, it reveals their heart as a parent. Right? They want an, an extra blessing for their children. They want what's best for their children. And so these parents, uh, probably it was the mothers, uh, bring their children to Jesus believing, uh, rightly so, that he is able to bless them. And this is the right view that parents should have. This is the right view that parents should have, that God is able to bless their children. And indeed, throughout history, many godly mothers and fathers have regularly presented their children to Christ in prayer. Uh, it's been said that many a salvation is due to the prayers of a godly mother, and history bears that out. But the disciples have a much different perspective on things here. Um, they see these parents coming forward with their boogery, grubby, noisy little kids trying to get Jesus' attention. And, and how do the disciples respond in verse 13? They rebuke them. They rebuke them. I, and it, it's not... Entirely clear from the Greek text if the disciples are rebuking the parents or if they're rebuking the children, but it's probably safe to say they're rebuking everybody, right? They are very uh, upset here. They're scolding them. That's what this word means. They're scolding them, chiding them. They're, they're chastising them. And just based on the context, we, we can probably deduce that what they're saying goes along the lines of, don't bother Jesus with these children. He's very busy. He's a very important man. He doesn't have time to deal with these little kids. He doesn't have time for your five-year-old. We're trying to get to Jerusalem. We're trying to get to Jerusalem. We don't have time for this delay. Leave Jesus alone. He's got more important things to do. It seems that the disciples see themselves as the gatekeepers who get to determine Jesus' agenda and, and schedule. Uh, they see themselves as the ones who get to determine who's worthy of Jesus' time. But whatever standard they're using... To make this decision here, um, they didn't receive it from Jesus himself. In fact, we look back to Matthew 18, just a short while ago, where Jesus taught them in verse 5, 
Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But they've forgotten that. They have other things on their mind. They have their sights set on other goals. And Jesus is, he's not happy. He's not happy with the disciples. Um, in, in Mark's account of this event, uh, Mark 10.14 says that Jesus is actually indignant. He's angry with the disciples. This is righteous indignation, of course, not, not a sinful anger, a righteous anger. How, how dare you, disciples? How dare you? And it's very clear the disciples have done something wrong. Right? They haven't done what Jesus has taught them so far. And in light of this error, uh, Jesus gives the disciples, in verse 14, both, both a negative prohibition, don't do this, and a positive command, do this. And both of which deal with the proper spiritual perspective towards children. Uh, for now, in our, our first point, we'll look at Jesus' negative prohibition, which is, do not hinder them. Right? Do not hinder these children. He tells the disciples in no uncertain terms that how they've interacted with these children is wrong. It's wrong. And that their perspective on children is wrong. And he says to them, let the children come to me and, and do not hinder them. Uh, we, we see the disciples view these children as less important than other people or other goals. And as a result, they're hindering them from coming to Jesus. They're restraining them. They're preventing them from coming into the presence of Christ to be blessed. Now, it would be wrong to purposely keep anybody from Jesus. Right? That's, that's wrong in any context, but how much more so to keep little children from Christ? Jesus takes that very seriously, and, and, and we would probably say we take that seriously too. I, I suspect that no one here in this room would say, yeah, we, we should keep our children away from Jesus. I, I think we would agree, no, it's good for our children to, to come to Christ. Um, but brothers and sisters, without realizing it, we at times can still hinder our children from Christ, maybe in a more passive way than what we see the disciples doing here. So what are some ways that we might hinder children from Christ? Um, I'll share four possible ways with you this morning. And these, these generally um, apply not just to parents, but uh, if, you're, if you're older, right, it could be your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, depending on the circumstances. These, these may apply to you. Well, the first way we can hinder children from Jesus is by neglecting to teach them about Jesus. The first way we can hinder children from Jesus is by neglecting to teach them about Jesus. Um, throughout the Bible, there's a constant stream of telling children about God. Deuteronomy 11 verse 19 describes how the people of Israel were to teach their children about God. It says, you shall teach my commands to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There's a constant teaching going on there, right? Telling your children always about these things. Um, in the same way, Ephesians 6.4 says that fathers are to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? We should talk to the children in our lives about Jesus. We should tell them who he is. We should tell them what he's done in his life, his death, his resurrection. We should tell them what he's doing in our lives right now. Uh, the more we talk about Jesus... When we rise up, when we lie down, right? The more we talk about Jesus, the more our children will learn about him and how important he is. Our, our children can very easily tell what's important to us. If you ask my kids what's important to me, they're probably going to tell you, uh, well, hopefully they say Jesus, and they'll say like fishing or something like that. They know, right? They can tell what's important to us. Can our children tell that Jesus 
is important to us by how much we talk about him. Right? If we never talk about Christ, that hinders them. That keeps them from learning about him. So that's the first way we might hinder our children from Jesus. The second way we can hinder children from Jesus is by neglecting family worship. Neglecting family worship. Now this isn't completely different than uh, telling our children about Jesus, but it's not exactly the same either. Now, talking about Jesus is very good, it's very necessary, um, but we should also teach our children how to worship Jesus. We should teach our children how to worship Jesus. Um, I love that at FBC, we have regular times every month where the children are in service with us today, and I, I wish the calendar would have fallen so that we could have had them in here with us today, right? It's a perfect passage. Um, but it's wonderful that the children get to come in and participate in the whole time of worship with us. That's a really, really good thing. But that's only two hours on a Sunday. That's only two hours on a Sunday. And, and let's be honest, the attention span of most children is a lot less than two hours, isn't it? Um, it's wonderful to bring children to church. We should do that. But, but if that's the only time where they're experiencing worshiping Jesus, um, then we risk hindering our children from Jesus. Think about it like brushing your teeth, right? Uh, if, if I were to ask you, how often should I brush my teeth? Um, you would say, once a day and probably twice is good, right? We should brush our teeth a lot. Uh, if I said, no, I think I'm just going to brush once a week, you would all sit way, way, way back, I think, right? Um, well, the same is true for worship. If we're just worshiping one time a week, wow, we're, we're, we're missing the mark. We're not going to have uh, good spiritual health, right? And we need to teach that to our children. And when I say family worship, you know, sometimes the, the response is, oh, man, I have to recreate the church service at home. No, 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 no. Family worship is simply a family worshiping God together in a simple way at home. And, you know, it should incorporate the ways God commands us to worship, but that's really, really simple, right? That's reading the Bible a little bit with your kids. That's praying a little bit with your kids. That's maybe singing a hymn with your kids. You could do that in five to ten minutes, right? It doesn't have to be a two-hour worship extravaganza. If you want to do that, that's fine, but, um, but keep it simple, right? It can be short and sweet. Regularly worshiping Jesus as a family, right? That not only teaches our children the basics of worshiping Jesus, it also teaches them that worshiping Jesus is something that is more than once a week event. That they can go to Jesus at any time. That he's always with them. That they can praise him at any moment. So that's the second way we might hinder our children from Jesus is, is neglecting family worship. Um, the third way we might hinder our children from Jesus is by removing the gospel from discipline. By removing the gospel from discipline. Um, now, the Bible's very, very clear. Children need discipline, right? Proverbs 22:15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Um, discipline is necessary, right? And children need consequences for bad behavior and, and rewards for good behavior, right? Uh, we, we know that. But that's not all children need. They need the gospel, too. They need the gospel. Um, unfortunately, discipline sometimes stops with consequences and rewards, just behavior modification, right? Which, which, again, is, is part of discipline. Um, but we need the gospel to be in there, too. Think about it. If, if, if the focus of discipline is only on external behavior modification, only on looking good on the outside, you're just creating a little Pharisee, right? You're just creating a little Pharisee. Christian discipline must incorporate the gospel. So we keep the consequences and rewards. We, we keep all that. But we also need to have conversations with our children about their sin about how Jesus died to forgive their sin, how Jesus can help them obey. And so it's good for us to take opportunities to show grace and mercy to our children when they sin, right? To live out the gospel before them. 
to bring them back to that message. If discipline doesn't include the gospel, then it just points children right back to themselves instead of to Christ, doesn't it? And that hinders them from Him. So that's the third way, removing the gospel from discipline. And the fourth way we might be hindering children from Christ is by our own hypocrisy as grown-ups. By our own hypocrisy as grown-ups. Now, assuming the children in your life know that you're a Christian, the way that you live before them really matters. Again, children are very, very sharp. They're very, very sharp. They pick up on a lot. And if we talk about Jesus a lot, but we're hypocritical about living as his disciple, if the walk doesn't match the talk, and we're not talking perfection here, right? But, but if the walk doesn't match the talk, our children will notice and they'll assume we're not worthy of being listened to about Jesus. And at the same time, as children do, they'll probably start following our example in our hypocrisy, right? And that's going to lead them away from Jesus as well. Now, Colossians 3.21 describes this when it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, right? By our own sinfulness and hypocrisy, we might actually push our children away from Christ and hinder them. Now, of course, none of us are perfect, right? Um, but we should ensure that we are doing what we can by the Spirit's help to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And, and when we fail, right? When our children watch us fail, when we uh, don't speak as we should, when we sin uh, bef before them, right? We should talk to our children about our own need for Christ, shouldn't we? When we sin against our children or the children in our life, we should ask for their forgiveness if we've sinned against them, right? That's, that's going to uh, remove a lot of that hypocrisy and help our children actually see, no, my daddy, my mommy, my aunt, my uncle, my grandma, my grandpa, they, they need Jesus too, just like, just like I do. Now, God is sovereign over salvation. We know that that's in his hands and you could be the best parents in the world and our children ultimately may choose not to follow Jesus. But that should never be an excuse to neglect our responsibility to do what we can to bring those children in our life to Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. After all, Jesus loves children. That brings us to our second point, the love of Christ for children. Now, looking back at our text in verse 14, we see that Jesus feels very differently about children than the disciples do. Now, the disciples measure people on their worthiness or their usefulness, but Jesus does not view people that way at all. Um, he actually sees them in the complete opposite way. Now, now think about children for a moment. Um, they have nothing to offer Jesus. They have nothing to offer the kingdom of God. Um, th there's not a, a benefit that they bring that Jesus doesn't already have. But yet Jesus cares very deeply for them. And he says to them, to the disciples in verse 14, Let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. Jesus doesn't want the children to come to him because they have something to give him. He wants the children to come to him because he cares for them deeply. That's the nature of Jesus' love, brothers and sisters. It's not based on what you can or cannot do for him. It's, it's not even based primarily on who you are. He loves you because of who He is. And since He never changes, you can rest assured that His love for you won't change either. And so Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Now, children have the same seeds of sin in their heart that the rest of us do. But there is something undeniably tender about children. And Jesus responds in, in a fitting manner, giving his disciples this positive command that reflects his love, right? Let the children come to me. He's very clear, nothing is to get in the way of these children. 
Let there be nothing that keeps them from coming to me. He wants to draw the children near to him. He wants the children to learn from him. He wants the children to learn about him. Now again, children are not spared the effects of sin. They're not immune to uh, their own sinful hearts, right? But when we look at a child, we see that they are not hardened in their rebellion against Christ like we adults can be, right? They are not determined to resist God like grown-ups tend to be. In fact, most children are actually very willing to hear about Jesus. Um, They're they're very uh, open to him at some level, right? Most children have no problem believing in God. They have no offense hearing the Bible read to them, right? That doesn't bother them. They like that. And this changes as they get older, of course, right? But we're talking about young children here in our text, aren't we? Little ones. Despite their sinful nature, there is something tender and innocent about children that is rarely found in adults. And Jesus' desire is that these children would come to him and learn about him. And we see in verse 15 that he does lay his hands on them and he blesses them before going away. But Jesus deals with children in a very unique way. He doesn't deal with anybody else like he does children. We flip over to Mark's gospel for a moment, Mark chapter 10. Uh, we see just this wonderful detail that Mark adds um, to this picture. Really this wonderful little detail that I think reveals to us so clearly the love of Christ for children. Mark chapter 10. And Mark describes uh, the same events. The children come to him. The disciples rebuke them. Jesus rebukes the disciples. Um, And then in verse 16, look what Jesus does. He took the children in his arms and blessed them. Right? He, he takes them in his arms. He embraces these children. Now that, that Greek word for embrace here, taking them into his arms, that only appears two times in the entire Bible. Only two times in the entire Bible, both in reference to Jesus' interaction with children. The only time Jesus hugs somebody in the Bible is a child in this way. Think about that for a moment. Right? Jesus deals with children in such a tender and compassionate way. Right? He, he, he deals with them in their own category, as it, as it were. Right? He very clearly wants the children to come to him. And so if, if, if we are going to avoid hindering children, well, then we are to encourage them in going to Jesus. Right? We are to do what we can to draw them to Christ. How can we do this? Well, in one sense, we, we should do the very same things we discussed earlier. We should tell them about Jesus. We should pray to Jesus with them and, and for them. We should read to them from the Bible. We should bring them to church with us, right? We should try to put Jesus before our children as many times and in as many ways as we can. Um, and hopefully we're living in such a way that displays Christ to them. Uh, now, one, one other opportunity that I, I love that we're blessed to participate in this as a church is Operation Christmas Child. Right? Really, the whole mission of that organization is fulfilling this passage right here. Right, Let the children come to me. We love being a part of that ministry because of this passage right here. We get to participate in bringing children to Christ. They hear the gospel. They learn about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, just, just to encourage you, a little side note, last year, 2023, the U.S. packed a record 10,051,000 shoeboxes. Right? Think about that. That's 10 million children who are hearing about Jesus. Praise God. Right? That's wonderful. And then that impacts their, their own families there, right? That's another great way, right, that we can participate in bringing children to Jesus. There's so many different ways we can do that, right? And, and, and it's 
on us to consider how can I bring the children in my life to Christ? How can I share him with them? Now Jesus tells us why children are so dear to him in verse 14. At the very end he says, For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now we heard something very similar to this back in Matthew 18 where Jesus described how um, we must become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven, being humble, being dependent on God, trusting him. Um, in other words, true disciples, Jesus taught us there, have a childlike dependence upon God. But at the same time, Jesus' wording here is, is different than there. And the context is a little different too. Back, you, back in, in Matthew 18, Jesus used a child as an illustration of what discipleship looked like. But here, he's literally talking about children. It's not an illustration. He's saying, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, if you think about it, is there anyone more childlike than a child? I don't think so, right? He's talking about children here. This isn't a metaphor. It's not, um, it's not figurative speech, right? Here, he's talking about little children. And, and, and these words have been the subject of much discussion throughout the history of the church. Um, some Christians see in these verses a great support for the practice of baptizing infants, baptizing babies. Uh, that's called paedo-baptism. Um, I was studying through the text earlier this week, and one of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul, he is a, a Presbyterian. Um, he dedicates his entire chapter on this text to uh, arguing for infant baptism. Right? And, and while I don't necessarily agree with the theological conclusion of baptizing infants, I do very deeply appreciate the focus and love that those who baptize infants have for children. Right? They take Jesus' words here seriously. They want to bring Jesus to Christ. We may disagree in the way that that's done, um, but it is good to have that focus on children. Um, but to be honest, I, I think this passage points not so much to the baptism of inf infants as it does their salvation. Now, the question of what happens to babies and young children after they die is a very difficult question. Right? And many, many parents have wrestled with that. Um, but just consider for a moment the special care and love that Jesus clearly displays for infants and small children here. Right? He draws them in. He hugs them. He blesses them. He doesn't respond to any other group of people with this kind of tenderness. Right? It's just these, these small children. And it's true, there's not a verse in the Bible that says this is what happens to babies who, who die, right? Now, the Bible doesn't have a verse that says that in black and white terms. But when we look at this text, I think we can have a full and hopeful expectation to see all infants and small children that have died in heaven, in the presence and care of the arms of Jesus. I have no problem. I don't think we as Christians should have a problem believing that all infants and small children are elect, right? We, we believe God elects who he's going to save, and I think we can say he has elected all babies and small children to be saved. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a, a preacher from the 19, uh, 19th century, uh, words it well. He says, I cannot conceive it possible of him as the loving and tender one that when he shall sit to judge all nations, he should put the little ones on the left hand and should banish them forever from his presence. Could he address them and say to them, I was hungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, sick and in prison and you visited me not. How could they do it? How could these infants and these small children do it? And if the main reason of damnation lie in sins of omission like these, which it was not possible for them to commit for want of power to perform the duty, how then shall he condemn and cast them away? No, if anything, we see in this text the particular love and tenderness that Jesus has 
for little ones, how in his compassion he will do nothing but receive them unto himself. Not just during his earthly ministry, but as the final judge of all mankind. He will be just as tender to them then as he is to them here in our text. Now some of you may be wondering, okay, well I'm not a small child anymore. Is Jesus going to show that same kind of compassion and tenderness towards me? Well, my friend, you are accountable in a way that infants and small children are not. You are accountable to God for your, your sin, the way you've broken his commands, the way you have not worshipped him as he's worthy of. But Jesus does promise that all who call upon his name shall be saved. It doesn't matter your age. You call upon the Lord and you seek mercy from his hands and you say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you, but I know you have paid the price for my sin by dying in my place on the cross and that you rose again three days later to newness of life and I have no other hope but you to make me right with God? Jesus does not ignore that prayer. And so if you are a small child who has grown up into an adult and maybe your life has been one that has been apart from Christ, come to him today. He will receive you by faith today. Believe in him and he will save you does not matter your age. So friends, does your perspective towards children reflect that of the disciples? Um, have, have you been through neglect, maybe hindering the little ones in your life from Jesus? Um, if so, make today the day that you do so no longer. Right? But instead, prayerfully seek the ways that you can lead them and draw them to the tender and compassionate Savior who lovingly receives little ones to himself. Now, Jesus' words are so sweet. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray as we prepare for the Lord's table. Our Lord Jesus, you are indeed a compassionate Savior. Lord, you are so humble. And Lord, how sweet it is to see you embracing these little ones drawing them to yourself, blessing them. And not because of anything in them, but because of your very character and nature. And Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the little ones that you have placed in our lives. Whoever they may be, Lord, would you give us wisdom? Uh, give us a greater love for those children, that we would seek to um, share Christ with them, that we would seek to let the children come to him, and that we would lead them by the hand to the feet of the Savior. Our Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the God who is mighty to save. And that, Lord, for those children that may have grown up and who are apart from you right now, um, that you are still able to save. And so, Father, we pray for them too. Uh, that though they are now adults and, and now accountable, Lord, to you for their sin, um, that they would see your abundant mercy in the cross. That they would see there is forgiveness for all and any sin through you. And my Lord, we thank you that we get to come to your table now. Uh, Lord, that we get to fellowship with you in a, a sweet and special way as we are reminded of what you have done for us out of your great love. Laying down your life, taking it up again, that our sins would be fully forgiven, that we would be fully reconciled to the Father. So please bless this time, Lord, as we come to your table. Help us to prepare our hearts and reflect upon your great mercy and grace. We pray all of this in your precious name. Amen.